The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Hello and welcome to the IPA Board of Pharmacy What, Why, and How podcast, where we discuss what action the board took at today's meeting, why they took that action, and how it affects your practice. My name is Casey Fisak. I am IPA's Director of Public Affairs, and I am joined again uh, by Sue Mears from the Board of Pharmacy. Thanks for joining us today, Sue. Yeah, you bet. Plenty of uh, action to discuss from today's meeting. Uh, again, another great meeting from the Board of Pharmacy. Not as many rules today, Sue, but quite a bit of other uh, pieces of news related to pharmacy and, and board action that I think we can dive into today. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think, Sue, maybe just looking at the agenda, if, if you can, uh, I think maybe the best place to start might be from Andrew's uh, Andrew Funk, the executive director of the board's update, I know he talked a little bit about um, the licensing bill that had passed during last session and how that might affect um, the practice of pharmacy in the state, but also some of the um, processes of the board. Do you want to give a quick update uh, on the uh, licensing bill? Yeah, sure. So uh, House File 2627, of course, was passed during the 2020 legislative session, and it makes some pretty significant changes to professional licensure in Iowa. So the board um, and its staff, we've been working with the staff from other licensing boards under the Public Health Department um, to dig through the licensing bill and, and figure out how we're all going to implement it so that we can have a pretty unified voice and response um, and implementation of the bill. So the bill includes um, a fee waiver for folks that are at or below 200% of the federal poverty level, um, some um, efficiencies, I guess, relating to license transfer into the state, and then um, the implementation or the use of a criminal conviction in a license denial. So we, we continue that work with the other licensing boards, and we're nearing the end of that. So um, we've made a lot of great progress in having a consistent set of model rules, for example, in how to implement those things. So I anticipate that the board will have some rulemaking at the November meeting um, for rules that are of the topics that need rules. They'll have some rules to look at and vote on at the November meeting. So things are humming right along with that. Great. Well, I, you know, I know the original intent of the bill was to help reduce uh, potential barriers and attract uh, qualified, uh, in our case, pharmacists to the state. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad to hear that that is coming along and presents no significant disruptions, at least, to the processes of the board. So glad to hear mm -hmm. it, and we'll look forward to uh, those rules down the line. Sue, the next one is some big news, and I, I would guess um, by the time our listeners tune into the podcast that they probably already learned about this, but many of you are likely aware that uh, HHS uh, issued an amendment to um, the PREP Act, and under in that amendment, uh, during the pandemic, it allows pharmacists to begin immunizing uh, ages 3 through 18, so really looking to address um, some of the declines in pediatric vaccinations that have occurred as a result, I think, of possibly delaying some routine care uh, because of fears from the pandemic. But obviously, uh, you know, a big win for pharmacists, this is something uh, here in Iowa that the board has had as a priority and IPA has had as a priority for 
gosh, at least three years since I came on staff at IPA, it's been a high priority. So uh, this is a, a great step in the right direction. Um, Sue, I think maybe uh, my first question on this might be if um, the board has any position on whether there's further action needed in the state um, to begin utilizing this proclamation or if the board has any updates related to that, I think we'd love to love to hear it. Right. Um, so actually the HHS directive would override anything in state law. So um, pharmacists would be able to make use of that um, order right now. Um, and a lot of it is really similar to what we already have in the state as far as the vaccine has to be FDA approved, has to be identified on the ACIP immunization schedule. They have to, of course, be trained and, and have CPR certification. Um, but otherwise, um, pharmacists could could operate under that directive right now. The only There are two little differences that I would just point out. Um, one is that the HHS directive requires that pharmacists have to have two hours of ACPE in um, or CE credit in immunizations. The board's rule only requires one hour per renewal period. So I would I would just recommend folks that if, if you're in your renewal period and you've only done one hour, just go ahead and go find another one hour. It's easy. They're they're easy to find, um, and then just get a second one. Not to and then you just don't have to worry about it. And the other piece is that the pharmacist has to inform the patient and the caregiver of the importance of a well-child visit with a pediatrician or other primary care provider, and then refer patients as necessary. Um, so those are just two little slight changes to the HHS directive, but otherwise it would um, it, it's available now for implementation. Great, well, that's super helpful to know and appreciate you pointing out some of those slight differences. Uh, it's exciting to think that uh, pharmacists can begin utilizing this if they meet that uh, that extra hour, uh, and if not, should be able to find it. But also, uh, I think we can all agree it's probably a great idea to try to capture more of those patients who maybe don't have a primary care provider through having uh, the requirement to inform or direct towards a uh, or refer, I guess you could say, for a well-child visit. So that's fairly similar, I think, to the requirement under the statewide protocol law. Here in Iowa, I know there's um, a piece about uh, having to refer to a primary care provider. So certainly think that's a, a great opportunity for pharmacists to uh, sort of show their value in being able to provide those immunizations, but also maybe cast a little wider net in helping bring some of those patients into uh, primary care providers. Well, thank you, Sue. As, as I said, I think it's, it's great that this is an opportunity we have right away, and hopefully we can start cutting into some of those lower numbers uh, that have been a little alarming during the uh, pandemic related to vaccinations. Yep. You know, that does remind me, and uh, I think this is fairly recent, but uh, I know the governor did announce an extension to the um, emergency declaration here in the state. So just make a little plug. I know, I think we say this every time we do a podcast, Sue, after the board meeting during the during the pandemic, but if you have not uh, checked out the board's response to those proclamations, it's a great walkthrough on some of the pieces that affect uh, pharmacists and some of the regulatory relief that's been included in the governor's declaration. So I would encourage you, uh, if you have not done so already, please take a look. There are um, quite a bit of flexibilities afforded uh, within that and within the board's guidance that uh, should help to ensure uh, 
during COVID-19 that you can continue providing care to your patients. So just a quick little plug for that. And obviously, you know, news changes so fast uh, here during the pandemic, and we've been saying that for months, but we to encourage you if you have not done so to check that out. To the other um, item that was discussed by Andrew during his update um, was related to the board's involvement in the Iowa Pharmacy uh, Practice Act Modernization Task Force. This is uh, something that IPA and the board uh, had planned on getting started a little bit earlier, but due to the COVID-19 response, uh, ended up being pushed back a few months. But uh, I do believe there's a few board members that will be involved with the task force. Is that correct? Uh, that sounds correct. <laughs> I haven't looked at the, the list for a while, so I, no, I suspect there are at least fine. a couple. That's fine, Sue. Yeah, so uh, the the goal of the, the task force is to hopefully in the next few months come together. Uh, there's three meetings scheduled in September and fall, bring together uh, a group of pharmacists from across practice areas. So uh, long-term care, hospital, independent, uh, chain, uh, sort of the whole spectrum and, and identify uh, particular parts or take a, you know, an, a holistic approach to the practice act and identify what, what needs to be modernized to ensure that pharmacists can practice at the top of their license. Um, so this is really, I think, an exciting start to possibly, um, not this year, but the next year, um, putting forward some recommendations to the legislature for modernizing the Practice Act and uh, really get to a place where we're not always adding particular sections just to ensure that pharmacists can do what they're trained to do underneath the Practice Act. So uh, just, a, I think, a quick little update for all those listening to, you know, pay attention to that process because uh, once the initial task force meets, there is going to be um, a pretty extensive process to try to engage uh, pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and students and stakeholders across the state for feedback on potential recommendations and potential updates made to the Practice Act. So again, uh, would encourage everyone to sort of stay tuned to that process as it unfolds and utilize those opportunities for feedback because it really will uh, hopefully affect uh, everyone in the state of Iowa, every uh, pharmacist practicing in the state of Iowa. Well, Sue, uh, I know uh, it seems a little early and it's hard to believe we're at this point already, but the board did, did discuss uh, some of their legislative priorities or potential legislative priorities for 2021. Yeah, it is strange to to think we're at that point already to to start talking about 2021, but just an odd year. And generally, I do like to start that conversation in the summer um, because the, the uh, state agencies have uh, a deadline to pre-file any legislative bills that they want the, the legislature to consider. Uh, and that deadline is usually around Thanksgiving time. So given the, the scheduling of the board's meetings and they now won't meet until the week before Thanksgiving, um, they kind of needed to settle on what they wanted to have in their legislative bill, if anything, uh, for the 21, um, 2021 session. So they did have that conversation and they took a look at the topics that were included in, in the board's bill last session and IPA's bill um, and identified the pieces that they wanted to move forward with as far as just basic code cleanup and things that relate to board oversight um, and then felt like it might be a better strategy to try at least this next session um, and have uh, the association put forward 
the components of um, the bills that related to pharmacy practice or expanding the practice of pharmacy. Right. Yeah. And uh, just for context, too, I would say for everyone listening, um, you know, sometimes agency bills or, or board bills, too, like you said, contain a lot of cleanup and uh, aren't necessarily controversial, if you would agree with that characterization. And I think, you know, a yeah. is that we had all imagined not being controversial became controversial and pre prevented um, what would be normally uh, nothing's easy to pass, but easier pieces for the board to get through kind of held up the entire bill as a whole. So, um, you know, at least my interpretation from the board is that, you know, this year there are some pieces that shouldn't be controversial, but are important and the board would like to see passed. So uh, I think uh, at least the plan might be for IPA to take on some of those more, uh, as you said, practice related items that will likely garner uh, opposition from certain groups at the Capitol and uh, keep that in a separate bill in case, uh, you know, we're going to try as hard as we can. But if it, if we can't get it through, then at least some of the more technical pieces that won't garner controversy, but uh, like I said before, are important to the practice of pharmacy, that those can be included in a board of pharmacy bill and hopefully we'll sail right through, right, Sue, without any... Hopefully, yes, hopefully. Without any opposition. So, yeah, yeah as far as IPA's process, uh, our legislative committee met uh, over the summer and we'll meet again in the fall to finalize our legislative priorities, but expect uh, some of those pieces to look very similar. So uh, expansion of immunization access, which will get a great boost from the HHS proclamation, but they can- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that'll go a long way. Now, uh, I think it's still important to do at the state level, so it's permanent. Uh, the HHS right. proclamation obviously only applies during the pandemic. Um, so I think, uh, you know, it's hard to put the- uh, the rat, let's see, what's the right expression here? Rabbit back in the hat or, you know, hard to close. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Let's just say hard to close Pandora's box once it's open, so. Horse back in the barn. Yeah, let's let's go with that, Sue. <laughs> uh, so I, I think we, we we should have an easier time this year trying to, to pass that, but I don't want to speak too soon. Yeah. Uh, looking at modernizing our collaborative practice laws again and, and adding uh, a statewide protocol for test and treat for flu and strep. Uh, which can aid greatly, I think, especially during the pandemic. So expect yeah. those pieces to remain the same for IPA, but just wanted to give you guys that detail when we talk about some of the items that uh, likely will garner opposition, possibly from uh, medical groups or physician groups here in the state. Those would likely fall in a bill that IPA will introduce. And then some of the more technical pieces related to cleaning up certain areas of the, the Practice Act, uh, those will likely fall in a board bill. So that's just a little bit of the the uh, context, I guess you could say, for what the board discussed during the meeting. Well, Sue, I know I mentioned before, too, that there wasn't a lot of rules on the agenda, but there were two proposed notices. Do you want to walk us through those, maybe? Sure, yeah. So both pretty simple ones. Um, first one was to a notice of intended action to amend Chapter 16, and that, of course, is the nuclear pharmacy practice chapter um, and that's a simple amendment that would require nuclear pharmacies to comply with the standards laid out in USP general chapter 825 and that's a new chapter from USP and it will be effective on December 1 of this year. So the board um, we had previously reached out to the nuclear pharmacy um, 
group in Iowa, the various pharmacies and pharmacists, and they were supportive and have already um, begun implementing the standards of USP 25. So this was should be pretty non-controversial. Um, but again, it's just we'll be going out for notice and open for public comments. Um, the other one is relating to Chapter 10 controlled substances, and it deals with scheduling actions. And one, one of them is just adding a synthetic opioid to Schedule 1, and that just follows along with what DEA has recently done with placing it temporarily into federal Schedule 1. Um, and then the other piece of that is to remove from Schedule 5 FDA-approved cannabidiol products that have less than 0.1% THC. So that also follows recent DEA um, action in that they are officially removing from Schedule 5 at the federal level these types of products. And so that, of course, is Epidiolex, right? And um, if you recall, it's only been a little over a year, or maybe close to two years now, that we got Epidiolex um, once it was approved and scheduled as Schedule 5. We quick did emergency rulemaking to get it similarly scheduled so that pharmacies wouldn't have any issue with getting that product. And then later in 2018, the Farm Bill was packed, um, passed federally, and that says that any product derived from hemp that has no more than 0.3% THC is not a controlled substance. So in the meantime, um, after DEA has given notice to the maker of Epidiolex and basically told them essentially because of the farm bill, their product is no longer technically a controlled substance. Yeah. But they hadn't yet changed the CSA to take that language out. So they finally are doing that. They're officially removing from Schedule 5 FDA-approved cannabidiol products. Um, with less than 0.1% THC. Um, but I also wanted to, if I could, kind of sidebar um, and just give reminders to pharmacies about cannabidiol products. Um, and the Farm Bill does kind of take off the table that issue of controlled status, right? Um, so DEA is not really an issue with products that have CBD in them, um, but at the end of the day, cannabidiol is still um, a core component of an FDA-approved product in Epidiolex. So there's still a lot of um, information out there of cannabidiol products wanting to, to sell them over the counter. And while it's no longer a DEA issue, it's still an FDA issue. So any product that claims to have CBD is still going to give you one of two problems as it relates to FDA. It's either if it really does have CBD, then it's an unapproved drug product, and that's a violation of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. If it claims to have CBD but really doesn't, then that's misbranded, mislabeled, and that's also a violation of FDNC. So either way, cannabidiol products are not really they're not legal to just be out there. So DEA issue aside, it's still an FDA issue. So I just wanted to kind of highlight that and remind pharmacies of that. Yeah, that's very interesting, Sue, and very helpful even for me. I'm learning something new on today's podcast. Um, and this has really been 
uh, I'd say at the center of a lot of questions that I imagine the board receives and that IPA receives. Yeah. Yep. Just given the proliferation of those products, you know, you see them kind of all over the place, sometimes in mm -hmm. stores or pop-up stores. So I think that's very helpful. And uh, I do believe that IPA is actually working on um, a potential 222 uh, presentation on this subject uh, later in the year, um, possibly in October or November. So we might have to have you on soon to uh, highlight what you just highlighted, because I think that's very helpful and provides some clarity to a rather gray area, at least at the state level of the law. Um, and there was, yeah, and, go ahead. Yeah, you know, the, the, I was just going to say the FDA website has some really good information too. Um, and, and they kind of get into a little bit more detail, I think, about the, the difference then between the oral products or topical products. Um, it's it is really confusing and, and it's confusing even for our compliance staff still so yeah. um, the FDA website has a lot of great information too well that's super helpful and uh, I'll have to check those out myself but would encourage everyone else to take a look then too if you have questions on this subject well see that's everything I have on my end really appreciate the update and I think there are a lot of great information highlighted today uh, that hopefully uh, our listeners can take back and, and put into practice, but appreciate your time. No problem. Great. Well, uh, we will uh, hear from you again in October. Is that the next board meeting? Uh, the next boarding, board meeting now isn't until November 17th right. and 18th. You mentioned that. Yeah, I got rescheduled. The pre-file uh, requirements. So uh, look forward to talking again then, but otherwise, thank you all for joining the IPA Board of Pharmacy What, Why, and How podcast. Uh, as always, reach out if you have any questions to me or Sue, I don't want to open you up for a bunch of questions, but I imagine uh -huh. you're going to help as well. Yeah, all good. Great. Well, thank you guys and uh, have a great day.